this morning we're going to be in Psalm 19. So if you want to take your Bible and go to Psalm 19, you can do that. We're going to talk about the wonderful works and Word of God. As you're going there, I'll just uh, kind of give you a free preview of where we're going in uh, the Sundays for the rest of the summer a little bit. Uh, I'm going to do Psalm 19 today. Uh, next week, Jason Best. Jason's been working with us here for six months or so, and it's been really great. Uh, really appreciated the ministry that Jason has had with us. Jason's going to preach uh, next Sunday morning. Um, so you'll want to be here for that. And then on August the 6th, the next Sunday, um, we have a family. Their name is the Dempseys, um, and they are doing ministry to unreached people groups as well. Um, and our missions committee is actually looking at the Dempseys as possibly our next new missionaries. Tom and Paula Carr have been with our church for 30 years. Our church has been supporting Tom and Paula um, and we have other missionaries that are similar. Um, but it's time for us. We're at a place where we're ready to bring on our next new missionary who's reaching unreached people group. So on August the 6th, the Dempseys are actually going to have our morning service times at the 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. So all of our church can hear about the ministry that they have, get to know them a little bit more. And then in the uh, weeks uh, after that, we'll be continuing to pursue whether that would be the next missionary family that God would have us support. So I uh, really want you to be there and take advantage of getting to know them on August 6th. After that, I'll do a couple more weeks in the Psalms. Lauren will do another uh, one more sermon in uh, this summer. And then after Labor Day, we'll get into our next expository series through a book of the Bible. And I'll be letting you know a little bit more uh, about that as well. But I know that summer's a little bit different with the way that we're doing sermons and things like that. But God's Word is always central. And so today, it's in Psalm 19. Hopefully you have your Bibles and you're turned there. I love the Psalms. Some people love the Psalms. Interestingly, some people struggle with the Psalms. The Psalms are very emotional. Uh, a good tagline for the Psalms is this is a place you go to respond to God in all of life's experiences and all of life's emotions. And if you've read through the Psalms or studied the Psalms, you know that the, the gamut of human emotion is expressed in the Psalms. Sometimes you'll read a psalm and it's just exuberant and there's lots of praise and you feel like, you know, maybe they're, they're watching a Seahawks game or something and everybody's all excited. Wait, that's the Seahawks. That's the wrong team. But they're watching a team and they're like all excited and it's like amazing emotion. And then other times you turn the page and you read another psalm and it's like, man, that guy is like, you know, borderline paranoia, schizophrenic. He needs to be medicated. And it's all in the Psalms. And what I love about the Psalms is no matter where you find yourself in life, you can find yourselves in the Psalms, and you can find God there in the midst of that. You can be going through the best time in life, and you still need to look for God. You can be going through the most downtime in life, and you need to, to find God. And the Psalms are, is that place, and this is the, the hymnal of ancient Israel, the songbook of ancient Israel, and how they express themselves to God. And the, the realness and the rawness of the emotion that we find in the psalms are just amazing. And so I'm actually going to do four different psalms over the course of, like I said, over the next weeks in the summer. And I hope to show you a variety of those different emotions and how we respond to God in those. Today in Psalm 19, this is one of the more familiar psalms. As I read it, you'll say, oh yeah, I've heard that. I've sung that before. Someone came after the first service. Oh, I remember that song. That's true. They were songs originally, and then some people got the idea that we could make them songs again. And so as we read it and look at it and think about it, I want you to, to see what it says about how we respond to God through God's works and through God's word. And so we'll start with God's works in verses 1 through 6. Psalm 19, 1 through 6 teaches us some things about God through his works. And it says this, 
the heavens. Well, actually, I'll start at the to the choir master, a psalm of David. And you may not know, but that's actually part of the inspired text of Scripture. Those little headings up there um, are actually part of the scripture. And so we read those to understand sometimes something about the psalm, that this was going to be sung by a choir. It was written by King David. Verse 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. How many of you are nature people? You like nature. You like being outside. Get your hands up and look around. This is really good, important. All right, how many of you are not nature people? Any, any of you? That's good, because you're all spiritual and biblical. I know a couple of you are like, I don't like nature, but if I raise my hand, he's probably going to say something bad about me. It's true, I was going to, but nobody raised their hands. There's just something about nature that innately within people that we love, right? You go to Mount Rainier, you go to some beautiful place in nature, and there's all kinds of people. And I don't know if you've been to Mount Rainier, like especially on a weekend, if you can even like fathom trying to get there. But there are a lot of different kinds of people trying to hike these days. Have you seen this? I'm like, lady, that, those are high heels. We're going on a hike. I saw a lady with like a Louis Vuitton purse one time. I'm like, are you, really? I saw a lady wearing a pair of jeans and a jean skirt over top of it. I was like, okay, double up. It was 90 degrees that day. But for one reason or another, everybody loves nature. Everybody wants to be in nature. Everybody wants to get out. And, and even if you're like, I don't like the mountains and heat and dirt, you probably like sitting on your back patio or your front porch and flowers and the things that, you know, come from just being out in that type of nature. I think that there's something innate in the human heart that loves nature because God put it there. I think that there's something that, you know, we live in, in the Pacific Northwest. And what happens in the Northwest is that people see nature as God rather than seeing God in nature. But I think that there's something innate there that we can see people's like crazy love for nature. And the reason that all the hiking trails are so packed and crazy every weekend is because God's put something in the, in the human heart that helps us to understand that we can learn something about our God from nature. And people twist that and distort that, as we'll see. But it's just, it's there. And I want you to know from Psalm 19, there are other places in Scripture we could talk about that as well. But from Psalm 19... That this is what we call natural revelation, but that there are some things about God that nature can teach us. And there's some really important lessons about God's nature and God's character that we can learn just from being outside and looking outside and understanding things and, and, and looking around and observing in nature. You say, well, what are those things? If nature is singing a song about God, what are some of the things that nature teaches us? I'll give you a few of them. One of those is that it teaches us about the majesty of God. You've been blown away by nature. You, I mean, we live in a part of the country. I remember I was recounting this the other day. I grew up in the state of Delaware. The highest spot above sea level in the state of Delaware is about 400 feet. That's not far. We're, I'm probably higher above sea level standing on this platform than anywhere in the state of Delaware. 
And I remember in 2001, I flew out to the Northwest for the first time ever to candidate as a youth pastor. And I remember it's one of those amazing, beautiful days up, you know, at, at 30,000 feet, but down here it's gray and disgusting. You know those days, like 10 months out of the year. Yeah. And we're flying in, and there's this, this incredible snow cone coming out of these clouds. And I was like, what is that? And it was Mount Rainier. And you know those days where it's like amazing, you can see it from the sky, and then there's just a layer of clouds. And I got to see Mount Rainier for the first time. And I'm like against the window, you know, other people are like, what's wrong with this guy? I'm like, ah, thank you, Jesus. This is amazing. I never knew this existed. Woohoo. And it just blew me away. The majesty of God in his creation. It teaches us something about the glory of God, like the, like the greatness of God and the amazingness of God. We don't look at things in nature. If you've been blown away by something in nature, someone uh, sent me a few weeks ago, someone from here, uh, they were at Yosemite, which is one of the places that I really want to go, and they were sending me pictures from Yosemite National Park. You don't go places like that as a Christian and not see something about the glory and the greatness of God. Nature also teaches us about the wisdom of God, doesn't it? Like if you start to dig in on how tides work and how seasons work and how phases of the moon's, moon works and different things like that, you think like the wisdom of God and putting all this together, the creativity of God, okay? The duck-billed platypus. Like, really? You've got to be creative. Because then none of us just sitting down on our own drawing that sucker out, right? I mean, I was going to put a picture up here, but I knew it would distract you. And some scientists will be like, well, actually, it's very practical. No, it's just creative. And it's weird looking, but it's creative and it's weird. And so weird creative types like it. Are you a weird creative type? Don't raise your hand. But you probably like the duckbill platypus, right? Nature teaches us about the creativity of God. You go swimming in the ocean, somewhere where you can actually see the ocean, not around here, but somewhere where you can actually see the ocean, and you look, and it's like, this is incredible and glorious and beautiful, and it teaches us things about the creativity of God. Like, who came up with that? I know, millions and billions of years just like came up with it, and it's just like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. No, an infinite, powerful, creative God. Aren't you glad that God's creative, right? What if we all looked the exact same? What if we all wore the exact same stuff? What if we were all robots? What if everything was just utilitarian? It'd be so boring. We don't live in a boring world, do we? We don't live in a boring part of the world, the Pacific Northwest. Like at the end of the day, you can look at nature and see the creativity of God. You can see something about God's power, obviously, and just the way that everything has been created. And Scripture says that he didn't even have to lift a finger. He just spoke, and there it was, the power of God through his creation. Creation teaches us something about the enduring faithfulness of God as well. Scripture says that, another psalm says that he holds it all in the palm of his hand. The enduring faithfulness of God, to not just let that go, to not just say, you know what, these people have really screwed up what I intended for something different, I'm going to start over. The enduring faithfulness of God is seen throughout all of his creation. Another thing that I think is really important uh, to point out, when it says that the heavens declare the glory of God, singular, that in most ancient Near Eastern cultures, for most of history, there were some sort of polytheistic religions. And the stars and the heavens and the heavenly bodies and the constellations all depicted their gods. And what David is saying here is that, no, there is one God. And that the heavens declare the glory of one God. And the oneness of God versus all of ancient mythology is spoken to us in creation. 
Creation teaches us all of those things. As a matter of fact, there's a New Testament passage that you probably have heard and know well, but I'm going to turn to Romans chapter 1, because Romans 1 teaches us some more important things about what nature says about God. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That word suppress is really important because I don't suppress something I don't know anything about. It doesn't say they didn't know the truth, they couldn't comprehend the truth. It doesn't say, as many today say, that you just can't know any truth and all truth is relative. It says that there is truth, but that people suppress the truth. And in verse 19, it says this, What can be known about God is plain to them, plain, easy to see, because God has shown it to them, he's revealed it. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. It says clearly that natural revelation reveals who God is. That natural revelation tells us something and tells people something, all people at all times as we'll see in a moment. That natural revelation is enough to tell people some things about God. That there is a God. That he's a divine being. That he is all-powerful. And some of the other things that I just laid out. And it says that people are left without excuse. Because rather than turning to that God and learning more about that God and pursuing that God. And finally finding that God in the person of Jesus Christ. They put out their hands and they suppress that truth. The heavens declare, Psalm 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. When we go outside and we look up, we go outside and we look around, like we're supposed to be awe-inspired. You've been inspired by nature, awe-inspired like, think about that thing, that special trip, that special place, the thing that you did, and you were just inspired by nature. I told the first service, one of the things that Scripture tells us that we need to do is we need to take our little theology, our view of God, our understanding of God, our Bibles, and you know what we need to do with them? We need to take them outside. You need to take your theology, and you need to take it outside. You're like, but I don't like outside. Is there air conditioning outside? I don't like outside. What your pastor is trying to tell you right now is go take a hike. Work with me? Yeah. The first service, it, it, it didn't do well either. I worked on that joke all week. I thought, they're going to laugh. It's going to be pretty funny. Go take, you know, take a hike. Uh, anyway, my wife said, it's probably going to bomb in the second service too. You were right, honey. But one of the things that's so important, I think is so, so good to do, is like get outside. Take your theology and take that outside. Because I can go hike and I can go look at the mountains. And Mike Cantrell and I got to go up to Mount Rainier on Friday and, and spend time up there. And it was great. and We love it. But if I just look at that through a naturalist lens, I just see a mountain. But I take my theology outside and my understanding of God. And I've been reading Psalm 19 all week. I take that out there and it just explodes my understanding of what I'm seeing and what I'm viewing. So I would challenge and encourage you guys to take your theology outside. And look at nature for what God is teaching you about himself in nature. There's an author, his name is Paul Tripp. I talked about him last week with relation to uh, parenting. But he wrote a, a book called Awe, A-W-E. And he talks about how 
awe is, is the goal of everything we do in our walk with God. And one of the things that he says in relation to natural revelation is that natural revelation gives us what he calls horizontal awe. I look at Mount Rainier and I'm like, wow. Um, you know, we see a great body of water. Wow. We see whatever the thing is in nature. That's horizontal awe. And he said, horizontal awe is only ever supposed to stimulate vertical awe. In other words, I'm supposed to look at all of that stuff and not just look at that stuff for itself, not just see nature as God, but see God in nature. And that horizontal awe is supposed to stimulate vertical awe. God, you're amazing. God, you're awesome. God, I worship you. That all of the earthly A-W-E awes in our life should only stimulate heavenly awe. And that's one of the things that should happen when we go outside. Whether you're sitting on your front porch watching the hummingbirds eat out of your flowers, or sitting on your back patio drinking a cup of coffee with your Bible, or taking a walk with your kids at the park, or going on a bike ride, or spending time at the ocean, or whatever it is that it stimulates vertical awe and worship of God. Because God's works are wonderful. Amen? Christians should regularly spend time worshiping God by enjoying His works. That means you have permission to take a day off, go outside, take a mental health day. Will they give you a spiritual health day at work? There's good things to be done. But nature is not enough. Nature is important and nature is good and God has revealed himself in nature, but nature is not enough. And here's where some people stop, whether it's secular people or humanistic people, naturalists type of people who see God in nature figuratively or some cases literally, they stop with nature. The way that this psalm is written is intentionally written to help us look at God's wonderful works, but then for that to drive us, verses 7 and following, to his even more wonderful word. And verses 7 through 10 talk to us about God's word because God's works in nature can reveal some things, but they can't reveal the most important things. They don't reveal the best things. Full revelation is found in the Word of God. So in verses 7 through 10, let's read about God's Word. The law of the Lord is perfect. I'm going to read all of those verses 7 through 10 in just a minute, but I do want to stop and point out something that's pivotal for your understanding of this text. So in 19.1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of whom? God. That's the Hebrew word El. It's a generic title for God. It's an important word, but it's not the most important word for God. It's a more generic title. It's used one time in relation to God's nature, God's, God's works, in verses 1 through 6. When you come down to verse 7, the law of the whom? The Lord. That's God's covenant name, Yahweh. It was the name that... that Hebrew people wouldn't even write out or wouldn't even say because of its holiness. It was the most important name because your name was your character. And so everything about the nature and character of God was revealed in his covenant name. David intentionally switches. In talking about nature, he uses a more generic title, God. And I believe that he intentionally switches seven times in verses 7 through 14. You'll see the word Lord. That's the covenant name, Yahweh. Because God's works can teach us some things about God, but only God's word teaches us about what a relationship with God looks like. God's word shows us that God pursues a personal relationship with his people. And I think that David is saying here that God's works in nature are 
pretty amazing. But God's word is even more amazing. And in seeing that used those seven times, and then all of the different, there, there are a series of triads where we're going to get something about the nature and character of God's word, and then an effect that God's word has in our lives. And where he talked about nature, and it was a little bit less specific, this is going to be a lot more specific, because God's word is even more wonderful, and his revelation through his word, than his revelation in nature. And I want you to see that as we read through here, because sometimes people will be all excited about going outside, but they might not be very excited about taking a Bible with them. They might be all excited about, you know, spending time with God in nature, and all excited about, I worship God at the mountains, or I worship God at the beach, or I worship God, without seeing that the most important place that we meet with God is where? In His Word. Because God reveals himself and who he is and his plan and his purpose. And we can't understand salvation without understanding God's word and his revelation in his word. So understanding that, let's dig into what this scripture actually says about the word of God. It's going to tell us what God's word is like, and it's going to tell us what God's word does. What is God's word like? It gives us several things. Number one, it is perfect. It says the law of the Lord is perfect. Perfect means that it's without error, right? Again, it's like some of your grandkids. If you look at it, you're like, I, I get it totally because I see them at my house and they're perfect and God's word, no. Not even a little bit. Perfect without error, we, we call that the inerrancy of Scripture. And this is one of the key verses that you would go to defend the inerrancy of Scripture. That in all that it says and all that it reports and, and all of the different authors and the different time periods and all those things that God's word is perfect and without error. Which means, number two, as it says that it is sure, the testimony of the Lord is sure, that means that it's foundational. That you can have complete confidence in it. That it is a foundation like the Sermon on the Mount says that this is the foundation of building your life on the rock as opposed to on the sand. That you can put complete confidence in that foundation. That when I stand on the Word of God, that it is sure. You ever had an experience where you were standing on an unsure foundation? Speaking of nature, there was a time a few moons ago as a younger man that I went on a longer hike uh, with a group of people and we had big backpacks because we were going to go for multiple days and so it was an, a heavy backpack and we were in the Olympics and if you know that the Olympics like it rains all the time and we got out there and it rained overnight it rained three and a half inches in one night that's a lot if you're not sure that's a lot so there was a river where there wasn't a river before and we all decided that we would find various ways to cross the river. And so some guy was up on a tree that had fallen down. It was like 20, 25 feet high. And he's trying to shimmy across. I didn't think that looked like fun. Other people were talking about like taking off their shoes and fording the river and just, you know, going across. And I was like, that doesn't look like fun. There are these rocks. And I'm pretty sure that I can just like bounce from rock to rock. As I said, I was a young man. And I thought I could just go from rock to rock and make it across the river. And what I remember is with my big, heavy backpack, I remember stepping on a rock and then stepping on a second rock, and then I remember someone pulling me out of the river. And what had happened was I stepped on the second rock, which was wet, and I slipped, and I fell on my face and smashed my face on a rock, and I had a big black eye, and my wife was there, and she's a nurse, and she freaked out because she thought I had, like, you know, ruptured an eye or something like that. And they had to pull me out of the river. You know why? Because I didn't have a shore foundation. <laughs> Right? I thought I could just walk across these wet rocks. It won't be a big deal. And as I stood on that rock, it just was gone. The Word of God, you guys, is a sure foundation. 
I don't have to walk up to God's word and think, like, if I obey this and follow this, is it going to go well or not? Like, God says repeatedly that if I put my faith and my confidence in his true and perfect word, that it will stand up under the pressure every time because it's sure. It says that it's right. Right means that it's authoritative. And in a world where no one wants to have authority and everyone wants to be their own authority, God's word is the authority. And what that means is here's how we relate to God's word. Instead of looking at God's word and putting that on the table with a lot of different ideas and thoughts and, you know, bloggers and YouTube ideas and videos and things like that about how to have a good life and pick and choose a little bit, that we put God's word over top of everything else and we view all of life through the lens of God's word. If God's word says do it, I do it. If God's word says don't, that I don't. That I don't try to get around it or make up other ideas. That it's authoritative and it's right. It says that it's pure. It says that the, God's word is pure. And that's an interesting word because it means to glitter, which is an interesting ancient Hebrew word. And if any of you have young daughters, you know that God's word can glitter, right? Like, I remember when the girls were little, they could put glitter on there. And, and sometimes we would determine the translation by, like, how much it glittered, right? Is that a good translation? Because the cover glitters really nice. Now, that's not exactly what the word is talking about here. You'll be surprised to know. But what it does mean is that God's word is actually beautiful. I remember dating my wife before she was my wife. I try to date her still now. I've been told that's a good thing. But before we were married and we were dating... Um, we would spend time together, and she was doing some studying. She's a nurse, and, and so she had the, all these books on her shelf. And you guys know I'm a book guy. I like books. And so I would go to the bookshelf, and there were these big, huge books. And I feel like the smarter that you are, the, like the bigger the books, right? So I like to at least have big books around, even if I can't read them. So I'd get these big, huge books, you know, like anesthesiology and uh, something about some other kind of ology. And I'm like, well, I like theology, so this is probably the same thing. And I put the book down, there's a huge book, it makes a big thud, which is really nice, and I start to look at it and read it, and it was like these medical textbooks. Have you ever looked at a medical textbook? It doesn't glitter. It's not pretty. It's not beautiful, right? It's just like a lot of, like, what is that? As a matter of fact, Jordan Tucker was studying for, like, the big test to get into medical school, and I'd go back in room 102, and this eight-foot whiteboard would be covered with things that he said was math, but it just looked like, like hieroglyphs to me. I didn't know what it was. God's word is beautiful. Have you ever had that experience when you read the word of God and you think about it and you look at it and it tells you something about your life and, and it just makes something make sense? And you have this meeting with God in his word? That God's word is supposed to like be pure, radiant. That's another way to say that. Some translations say that it's radiant. We approach God's word as like this textbook. Well, I do my three verses today because, you know, a verse a day keeps the Satan away. But at the end of the day, like, God's word is beautiful and radiant and glorious. And, like, as I dig in and study, I don't want it to just be another textbook. I want it to be something that actually brings life. It actually says that it, like, brings light to your eyes. We'll get to that in a minute. It says that God's word is clean. That means it's without any defilement. It says it's, that it's true. And, again, true means that it's trustworthy. That it's enduring forever. I love that one. Because any philosophy, any ideology that's created by man always ends up needing to be amended or updated. I love it when science is like, we've got the answer to life without God. And then like 10 years later, they're like, well, that was the wrong answer. We got a new answer to life without God, right? 
Because if it comes from the finite mind of man, guess what it is? Finite. It needs to be amended. It needs to be updated. But when it comes from the infinite mind of God, it never needs to be amended. It never needs to be updated. And I want you to know that God's word endures forever. So you can put your faith and you can put your trust in it. It doesn't need to be amended. It doesn't need to be updated. It doesn't need somebody coming along giving a new interpretation of it. And finally, it says that it's altogether righteous. That means it's set apart from all other books, all other works. That's why we finally, we go to God's word. That rather than self-help or any of the other types of help, that ultimately we land on God's word because it's altogether righteous and set apart from all of those other words. That's what God's word is like in Psalm 19. And you'll remember, by the way, that when David is writing this, Psalm 19, he's actually only specifically referring to the first five books of the Bible. That's the Torah, the law, the, the Bible that they had at that time. And that by application, as it's talking about God's word, that we can then apply these same principles to the entirety of God's scripture. But David only had those first five books, and he was that enamored with it. Imagine what it looks like now as we have the totality of God's special revelation. So what does God's word do? It says that it revives the soul. Revives, refreshes the soul. So it's been so hot here lately, hasn't it? It's been like in the 80s, you guys. Like that's, oh my word, we're melting here. And if you don't have air conditioner, it's probably even worse. You better stay inside. It's a heat wave. If you listen to the news, it's awful. I talked to a neighbor last night, and they're like, yeah, we're getting ready to go to Phoenix, Arizona uh, next week. It's supposed to be 117. I said, are you going to Arizona or are you going to Hades? Because I'm pretty sure that, like, Hades is about that hot, right? You ever been in that place where you went hiking or you went out and you worked outside all day or you did whatever the thing was and it was hot and you were hot and tired and then you came inside and maybe there was air conditioning maybe somebody gave you a nice bowl of ice cream or like a nice cold something to drink and it just revived you and refreshed you you had that experience so like I said, we got to go hiking on Friday and we went out to Enumclaw and passed Enumclaw, went up to the mountain and we were hiking and then we came back down and we came through Enumclaw and in my mind I'm thinking, I need some soul refreshment. And there's this place in Buckley as you're going down 410 back toward going west and it's called Wally's Drive-In. Does anybody, can I get a witness? Thank you, Jesus. Woo! Let's have a revival in here. And I had seen on the way out that it said the shake of the month was, was peach. And I was like, soul refreshment, baby. And so I said to Mike, like, let's go to Wally's. And so we pulled in and we got like the double burgers and the peach shakes. And I want you to know that my soul was refreshed. Was it just my belly was refreshed? But I really felt that my soul was refreshed in that moment. I think we have experiences like that. And we laugh a little bit. But we have experiences like that because we understand what it means to be revived by something, to be refreshed by something. And David is using that same terminology. In a minute, he's going to talk about honey and the honeycomb. That was the epitome of refreshment. That was like the best candy, you guys. I don't know what the best candy is. I like airheads, okay? But that was the best candy they could come up with that day. If you got the honey right from the honeycomb, boom, that was it. It revived you. It refreshed you. I think God gives us those experiences to understand a little bit about what he's offering us in his word. Because those things only refresh and revive us on the outside but sometimes does your soul need to be refreshed you just get down you just get frustrated 
You just get in that place in life where you're like, uh, like God's word is there to refresh and to revive. Another thing that it says that God's word does is that it makes wise the simple. And that word simple is really interesting there. It comes from a root that means an open door. And the idea is just like an open door with no guard and no filter and anything can go through. That's a simple person. That's not a person you want to be if you read Proverbs, right? But it says it makes wise the simple. And what that means is it closes the door so that not everything can get through. We need God's word to close the door of our minds and our hearts today, don't we? We need God's word to close the, the door, to give us the right filter. That as we watch movies and we interact with social media and we spend time around other people and we spend time out in culture, we need God's word to make wise the simple. We need that door to go closed sometimes and that filter to come on so that we can really understand what God's word is there to do for us. It also says that it rejoices the heart. And there are times in each of our lives when we need our heart to, be, to find some joy. It says that God's word can do that. And finally, it says that it enlightens the eyes. It makes your eyes light up, right? We all know what it's like for our eyes to light up. Your favorite sports team does something, and you're like, yes, your kids, you know, do something great, and your eyes light up. Every time you see your spouse, amen. Guys, come on, you're with me. Right, there we go, right? Yeah, and your eyes light up. And when I, my eyes light up, it's usually because my heart and my soul have been enlivened. And God's Word does that. I'm going to share a story at, at the very end about how this psalm has done that in my own heart. I'll save that for them. But God's Word can change our hearts, and then what we see on the outside looks a lot different. And our eyes and our face lights up from that. Some of you need God's Word to give you that kind of refreshment. Verse 10, again, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. This is about value. Because of what God's word is and because of what God's word does, it is more valuable than any other thing. That it's the most desirable of all things. And so we ask ourselves, like, what do I desire? What do I really want most? Think about it in this way. More to be desired is God's word than a job that pays you six figures plus. More to be desired is God's word than a 401k that makes it so that after you retire, your life is just cushioned and perfect. More to be desired is God's word than that all your relationships are right and perfect. More to be desired is God's word than you get to go on all the trips that you wanted to go on. More to be desired is God's word than you have all the things and the clothes and the cars and the house and all the things. More to be desired is God's word than anything else that culture would put the price tag on. And I have to ask myself, like, what is the thing that I put the highest price tag on? If God's word is what it says that it is and does what it says that it does, it should be more desired than any of those things. Which makes me ask this question to myself. How does this understanding of God's word impact how much time I devote to God's word? Right? Can you imagine saying like, I want more than anything else to have an amazing relationship with my wife. I'm going to give her about 45 minutes every week of, of semi-devoted semi time, right? 
I'm going to get in a room with like a hundred other people and her, and we're just going to listen to some guy talk. I really want that relationship with my wife. What I will, I'll spend that 45 minutes, and then every day, I'm going to give her like five minutes. I mean, I'm really going all out. I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'm just going to talk to her. I'm not really going to like ask her anything, but I'm going to just talk to her for like about five minutes, and then we're going to have this amazing relationship. Is it going to work? Some of you are like, uh, it's working for me. No, it's not working for you. If you think it's working for you, it's not working, right? No, but if there's more to be desired than gold or anything else, if God's word really is what it says it is and does what it says that it does, like how does that impact the amount of time that I devote to knowing and studying and understanding God's word because it really should impact it. Now, here's what I love about this psalm. In verses 1 through 6, we get to hear about God's works and how God reveals himself and his amazing works. And then in 7 through 10, we get to hear about God's word and the incredible things that God's word is and does. But in verses 11 through 14, we get the application. Because if I experience God through his works, and if I understand God through his word, it has to impact my walk. It has to impact the way that I live my life. And that's what verses 11 through 14 talk about. It talks about my walk in light of God's works and in light of God's word. Then how does that impact my walk? And it says this in verse 11. Moreover, in addition, by them, by God's word, is your servant warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. It says, who can discern his errors Declare me innocent from hidden faults. It means thoughts, uh, uh, faults that I didn't know about. Things that were hidden from me. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous or willful, deliberate, or a couple of other translations. Sins that I do know that I'm committing. Keep them back. Don't let them have dominion over me. Don't let me be controlled by sin. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. These verses are saying that God's word protects my walk. One of the things that God's word does for us as Christians, as people who put their faith in God and in his word, is that it protects our walk. It keeps us from sins that we could commit without knowing that we commit them. It keeps us from the presumptuous, the intentional sins that ensnare and entangle us that we do know. It protects our life and guards our way from error. And I don't know about you, but verse 11 is really good because it says, uh, verse 12, who can discern his errors? I need the word of God to help me understand my errors. I need regular time in God's word to help purify my life and my heart. One of the reasons that people don't want a lot to do with God's word is because it really is that filter that shows you when you're in error. And sometimes we don't like our errors being pointed out. But we need that level of protection. And God's word protects our walk. And then in verse 14, this is one of those ones that you, you, know, you put on a t-shirt or you get it inscribed on a coffee mug. You put it on a little post-it note and put it on your mirror. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The words of my mouth, the stuff that I say, the stuff that comes out on the outside, and the meditation of my heart, that which comes from the inside. Let all of those things, acceptable means that it's a sacrifice. They just put on the altar before God. And, and David's saying, as I interact with your works, and as I interact with your word, and it changes my walk, 
let the stuff that comes from the outside reflect what's going on on the inside and let what's going on on the inside reflect an acceptable sacrifice to you like that's what God has called us to and that's what God's given us his word for so I said I wanted to share a story to close the reason I'm preaching Psalm 19 for you guys is because uh, the Bible app that I use, the devotional app that I use, um, takes you through a book of the Bible or so uh, every month, and it gives you some devotional thoughts and things like that. And I use that separate from sermons and pre- preparing sermons for you guys because I want to like have my own walk with the Lord. Well, the last couple of months has been the sermon, uh, the the devotions have been in the Psalms. Just a few weeks ago, I found myself in a spot where I was, like, frustrated. Spiritually, I was getting spiritually and emotionally frustrated. And I know you probably think that pastors never struggle spiritually. But I was struggling emotionally and, and spiritually, just feeling frustrated. And I was being short with my wife and short with the girls. And just in general, there was a, a frustration. And as I had some more time to, like, think about things, I, I started to get, like, frustrated with God. And I'm not getting mad at God guy all the time. I, I usually, like, that's not a problem. But I was, like, starting to feel these feelings where I was frustrated and, and saying, you know, the why God kind of stuff. God, why this? And why not this? And I was feeling frustration. And so I had been going through the Psalms and all of that. And I just ended up, I just, like, stopped for a day. And I, we weren't at home. And, and so I stopped for a day. And I was just frustrated. And you know how you have those bad days? <laughs> like you're frustrated and it just like snowballs. I had one of those days. And so the next morning I woke up and I'm like, man, I don't really want to open the word. I know a pastor's not supposed to say this. But I was like, I just, I just don't really want to. But the Lord, for whatever reason, like the Lord was like, no, you're going to. And I opened it up. And, and I actually, because like I'm like, you know, a type A kind of guy, I can't leave things undone. So I hadn't done yesterday's devotion so I went back to yesterday's devotion instead of just going right to today's. You know what yesterday's devotion was that particular day? The day before the devotion was Psalm 19. And I'm, literally, I'm like, I'm probably going to get fired for this whole confession. But, but I was really like, Psalm 19, like, oh. In my mind, I'm like, I know this one. I was really like, I know this one. I don't need this. God, I don't need your word. I just started reading it. And every single verse just smacked me right upside the head. Like every single verse, it was like God just being like, you need this, you need this, you need this, you need this. And I'm sitting in a place at that point where nature was on full display, like as I opened God's word that morning, where nature was just on full display and it was amazing. And I'm reading the heavens declare the glory of God and I'm looking out and I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? And he just, the spirit of God used the word of God to change this guy in that day. Because I was struggling with stuff that, and I didn't need to be. But every word as I went down through there, and I'm praying and, and talking to the Lord, and it was like this little worship session and some repentance time. And there was really some, like, God, I'm going in this direction. I need you to shut that door and show me, make wise my simplicity. And I need you to enlighten my eyes. Like, there's, I need some reviving and some rejoicing. And he used his word to do that. And the reason I tell you that, and, and ultimately, verse 14 I wrote it down and I was just like quoting that to myself throughout the course of the day in the next few days just like let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight O Lord my rock and my redeemer like I just over and over because God's spirit uses God's word to change the hearts of his people and when I preach these things for you it's because God's done especially in this one I work in my heart with it and I want to challenge you today to let God do that 
So a specific challenge this week would be this. And, and maybe this sounds a little corny, but I think it would be beneficial. Sometime this week, or maybe more than once, but at least once this week, like commit to doing this. First of all, take your phone and like put it down. And it's hard, right? Put the phone down, put it away from you. Pick up a paper Bible and go outside. And the only reason I say put down your phone and pick up a paper Bible is because if you're like me, the, the phone Bible dings all the time. Right? I'm reading it and then somebody texts me. Or I'm reading it and then a reminder shows up. Or I'm reading it and then I'm reading the news and I don't even know how I got there. Right? Put that guy down and just pick up the paper Bible. It doesn't have any notifications. It's really nice. Pick that up. Take it outside. Maybe you're going to take it to your front porch or your back patio. Maybe you're going to take it on a hike or a little walk in the park or whatever it is that you do. But take that outside and ask God to revive you and refresh you, to meet you where you're at and meet you with exactly what you need in his word. Start reading the Psalms. Start reading Psalm 19. Look around. Read somewhere else if you've been somewhere else. But take that outside and let God do that. Ask God, as I have been, through his works and through his word to impact your walk. Because that's what he wants to do through your word. Uh, we always put out the sermon supplement. I always talk to you about it. If you need the supplement or if you need uh, a connect card or anything like that, right in front of you, scan the QR codes. I put some of this stuff right there in the sermon supplement. You can get to that as well. Um, and again, I just challenge you to continue to, to on your own, dig into what God's doing in his word.